Hey, this is Dustin, one of the pastors at Grace Bible Church. Thanks for tuning in to listen to one of our sermons. We hope that this sermon encourages you, inspires you, and compels you towards a closer walk with Jesus and one another. If you would like to learn more about Grace Bible Church, contact us or partner with us financially. You can connect with us at www.gbc.life. Welcome to our church family. We hope that you enjoy the message. Thank you, worship team, for leading us in worship. Look at this. Look at this. Old Daddy Dave's back now. Yeah? With three weeks' experience as a father. Isn't that awesome? Old Daddy Dave. I'm glad that Joker's back. Thank you, Phil, for leading us, man. Grace Bible, I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, flip on over to Ecclesiastes chapter 5 as we continue our series uh, called Come to Me, Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It may be a little tricky to find if you didn't learn the, uh, you know, the, the, the Bible song in, as a kid like I didn't. Um, so uh, the easiest way to find it is Psalms is in the middle of your Bible, and it's one of the bigger books of the Bible. Go to the right of Psalms. You're going to hit Proverbs. Go to the right of Proverbs. You'll hit Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 as we continue this conversation. It's, it's kind of a big weekend uh, for us, and I'll explain that here in just a second. We get to yet make another investment in the kingdom of God. I want you to know, like if you're new to GBC or if you're just checking things out at GBC, one thing that we are about, we know that we exist not to build the brand of Grace Bible. We exist to build the brand of the kingdom of God. And so we do some things that are a little unorthodox and uncomfortable because we believe that God's commission on his church is to be a kingdom-minded, capital C church. Not a bunch of buildings on every street corner competing for market share, but one body united around a common purpose of the gospel of Jesus, making every effort to protect the spirit of unity that, the God is, that God has given us and to build his kingdom all throughout the world, literally to saturate the world with the good news of the gospel. As Habakkuk prophesied and Isaiah prophesied that one day there would come a day where the knowledge of the glory of God would saturate, would cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that there would be no distinction between where the knowledge of God was and wasn't because it just was everywhere all the time. We're committed to that calling. We're committed to being a part of, of what God has called us to in that effort to do so. And so um, there's things that happen around here uh, that, that, that are probably a little un, uncomfortable in an effort to honor God in that way. And uh, uh, for example, one way we, I, I, I missed being with you guys last weekend because we were teaching down at our uh, a partner church in Okeechobee, Oakview Baptist Church. We were down, I was down there last weekend uh, preaching to them. Etienne is down there today. Uh, Pastor Cam got a call this week and now he's teaching at a church in South Florida because two of their pastors got COVID. And so I'm grateful that we get those phone calls. Hey, can you help us out? So Pastor Cam's down there this morning be praying for him. And I have a special guest that you're gonna meet today who's gonna be team teaching with me. And before I introduce him to you, um, I just wanted to say, I'm grateful for y'all. I'm grateful for all of you. I really am. I'm particularly grateful for those of you for the last eight and a half years have been putting up with my sorry behind. And you were here the day that I took this stage for the first time as a trembling hand 27-year-old in the middle of church crisis, just asking God to do something in our church family. And you have, so many of you have just stayed and prayed and encouraged 
and just walked with me and let me struggle as a pastor and encouraged me as a pastor and let me find my voice as a communicator and challenged me and encouraged me and called me back to the word of God when I was straying off into something else. Like, you, you have been faithful and I'm grateful. You, you have so walked out your kingdom calling as the body of Christ. And I'm so thankful to get to be a part of a church family like this. I'm so grateful that even before we realized how to put language to it, you've been committed to the kingdom of God more than you have been to the brand of Grace Bible. I think it's you that may have showed me how this is supposed to work. And I'm so grateful for that. And so today we get to celebrate making that kind of investment that you made in me into another young man. A young man that is a part of the Oakview Baptist family in Okeechobee that is also going through some hard times. God has allowed us to be able to serve them and come alongside them and be their teaching pastors during this season of them looking for a new lead pastor since their former lead pastor passed away unexpectedly about three months ago. Well, there's a guy named Stephen that is a part of that church family that had been mentoring under that lead pastor for several years and had grown from being just a really shy introvert but hearing the call of God on his life to now teaching Sunday school on a regular basis at Oakview Baptist Church. Um, and in the moment of crisis when Pastor John was no longer there with them, he had to step up and minister to the body not knowing what to say or what to do in a time of crisis, and that was his first ever sermon on a Sunday morning in front of the body from the stage. What a tough time to do that. Well, as we've been wrapping our arms around and partnering with the Oakview Baptist leadership team, one of the conversation was, well, what about Stephen? Is there any way that the GBC family can continue to make investments in him as he is growing uh, as, as into this calling of pastoral leadership uh, within the kingdom of God. And so we're like, man, we started putting our heads together and praying about it and trying to figure out what's some ways that we can make an intentional investment. And so we've, we've given him some resources. We've been having pastoral conversations with him. Man, he is, I'm telling you, he's definitely cut out for it. But I get the opportunity and you get the opportunity today for us to invite him onto the stage with me to team teach with me at GBC today. And this same sermon we've put together as a group today is going to be the sermon that he flies solo with at his home church in Oakview next Sunday for the very first time of actually being able to prepare a message and bring it to the body of Christ. And so, ladies and gentlemen, I want you to welcome to the stage today with some grace, Bible, zeal, and excitement, old Stephen Stevenson. Say that 10 times fast. All the way from Oakview Baptist Church. Thank you. Um, thank you, GBC, for having me and inviting me. And on behalf of Oakview, thank you for everything you've done so far, because it has been just amazing to see, like he says, the capital C church pulling together. And the couple times I've come here in the past, some of the members have come up and told me how they've been praying for us and just they're worried about us. It's just been, it's been really amazing to see the church draw together like that especially with everything going on. So thank you again. Hey, man, I'm grateful that you're here with us today, man. And it's going to be a pleasure to open up the word of God with you. Let's pray. Uh, his wife and kids are here as well, but they went out to breakfast because we've got two more services. And I told him, hey, don't come to the first one. He's got to grease the wheels a little bit. You know what I'm saying? So y'all go get some breakfast. 
And I know you guys are going to be just a great, uh, just a great wind of encouragement and, uh, in Stephen's life. And I hope you'll take a minute to come introduce yourself and love on him after the service. Let's pray as we open up the Word of God together. Hopefully by now you're in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Lord, I thank you for your love for us, Lord. It truly is just, it's stunning. It's awe-inspiring, Lord. And, and I confess that we take it for granted in so many ways. God, I've confessed that at times we even grow numb to it and fail to acknowledge just the, just the magnitude of your love. So, Father, I pray that you would give us an ear to hear this morning, that we would hear the voice of God. Lord, that you would draw us into obedience and submission to you and your word. And, Father, that you would continue to make your name famous right here in the heartland. Your kingdom come, your will be done right here in the heartland as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. So we're in a series called Come to Me. Um, This is based off of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 11 when he invites us to come to him, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of y'all fit into the category of weary and heavy laden? Yeah, I I hear you. Like, I'm telling you, like, this, this thing called life wasn't meant to be easy or even comfortable, even for kingdom people. Honestly, God has called us to be comfortable in our discomfort because he is using us for his glory, and that's not always gonna be easy. Oftentimes it won't be. But this call to come to him, all you are weary and heavy laden, to find the rest and peace that can only come through Jesus, through clinging to the vine, through abiding in him, John 15, is one of the, one of the promises that Jesus offers us, but it also can feel like a mystery. Like, well, how do I, how do I come? I want to be there. I want the peace and rest. I want rest. I want Jesus to, to give me just comfort in this hard time I'm going through. It can be difficult, and this is why the Word of God introduces to us, the apostles introduced to us, Jesus introduces to us, what those of you who grew up in the church world called spiritual disciplines. Now, we're, we're calling them spiritual rhythms and practices for the sake of this conversation because we're hoping that you are going to grow in implementing those in your life so that you hop into this vehicle that he's handed us to come to him. Now understand, I want to say this because here's the tension. You can do all of the spiritual rhythms and practices, reading your word, worshiping, confession, giving, serving, um, Sabbath rest. Like you can do all the things and still be no closer to Jesus than you were the day before. I want to wrestle through this tension with you. The reality of it is, is you can check all the Christian-y boxes some of y'all even turned up the Joy FM on your way to church this morning. Loud, y'all sang it out. You sang the worship songs this morning loud. We could do all the things and still miss Jesus. So I think here's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't want you to be under the illusion that if you're doing all the things that you have a right and growing relationship with Jesus. But I also don't want you to be under the illusion that you have the right and growing relationship with Jesus if you aren't doing all the things. You hear what I'm saying? This isn't a call for you to start doing a better job at your spiritual rhythms and practices so that you would be more delightful to God. The truth of the gospel is he already delights in you. Delighted in you so much that it got him up off of his throne to come after us, put on skin, died on the cross, resurrected to new life, put up with just the assault and insults that the world had to offer him as he walked the face of the planet for 33 years. He delights in you so much, it moved him past the point of any boundary that could have been set up in front of him because he was madly in love with us. He delights in you. 
These spiritual rhythms and practices are the vehicles that he gives us to drive into his arms so that we can learn to delight in the one that delights so deeply in us. I don't want you to miss out on the voice of God and on the relationship that Jesus has for you. This is, these vehicles are what God uses to transform us into the likeness of his son Jesus. And I hope that you have been learning and picking up and practicing the practice as we've been saying. The practice we're going to talk about today is one of, some of y'all's favorite subject to talk about when you come to church, stewardship. Say stewardship. Now I see some of y'all good old southern folk leaning over on your right hiney cheek to hide that wallet. Because you saw the preacher going to talk about money today. We really aren't going to talk about money, even though money is a part of stewardship. We want to talk about the right kingdom biblical perspective of stewardship. And yeah, money fits into it. But there's a lot more that God has given you than just your financial resources that he wants to lay claim on. They came from him. He wants them to be devoted to him. And so we're going to talk a little bit about stewardship today. And where we're going to begin this conversation is coming from some wise words from one of the richest men to ever live, and as history would have it, also the wisest guy to ever walk the face of the planet. And it was, his name was King Solomon. He wrote this book of Ecclesiastes to let us know, I've been there, I've done that, I bought that, I rode the ride, I got the t-shirt, I did all the things, only to find out that none of it satisfied me. The only thing that could possibly satisfy the one with everything is to come to the king of glory. The, the last section of Ecclesiastes is him recognizing and confessing that they're, the only life worth living is the one that is tethered to the Lord. And so we're talking about stewardship. We're talking about the paradigm shift in our mind concerning stewardship. Here's a little bit of what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, starting in verse 10. He says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money. Is that new news? He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, duh. You'll never be able to get enough. Nor he who loves wealth with his income, this is also vanity. When goods increase, it also increases those who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun, riches that are kept by their owner, even to the point of his own hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture. This really went south. Bad venture, lost everything that he had, and he is a father of a son, but yet he had nothing in his hand to be able to give to that son. Verse 15, and as he came from his mother's womb, so he shall go again, naked as he came. And he shall take nothing for his toil, that he may carry away in his hand. There's no U-Hauls behind hearses. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. With what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats and drinks and much, much vexation and sickness and anger. Stressed all the time, worried about gardening his stuff, getting more stuff. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the very few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. In other words, be happy with what you got. 
Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and the power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. That's what we long for. A heart that is steadfast in the Lord, a heart that is rested in joy and peace, not one that is eternally tethered to our resources. And as Solomon says, like chasing the wind that just leaves us frustrated and angry and he used vexed but confused and aggravated. And let's just start the conversation here, GBC. Let these words soak into your dome for just a second. You are not your own. What do you say, Steve? I love C.S. Lewis for his ability to take big concepts and just shrink them down to just a couple sentences. So in mere Christianity, he's talking about how eventually all Christians have to come to this realization that every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not in a sense already his. And that concept is kind of at the core of what we're talking about because most of the time we think of stewardship and the hard things that we think of are really symptoms of the problem. They're not the actual problem. We, we think of a situation and we think, I can't do that because it'll cost me too much time or effort or money. Or we'll flip it and we'll say, they aren't worth the time or effort or money. But the problem is the perception that put us there, that gave us those thoughts. And, that, and that's why Ecclesiastes is such a hard book for us because it is just filled front to back with nonstop difficult truths about this is your perception, but it's wrong. You need to see it through God's perception. Yeah, it really is a, it really is a perspective-changing book for sure. And uh, you know what, Cam, would you, maybe let's give him the handheld mic. I can hear that, you fighting that feedback. We need to play with that a little bit. Or Chris, I left it on the chair right there. Will you bring that up? All right. What, what number is that? Four? You got it back there? We're fighting this one. We'll deal with that after the service. Now, I hear what you're saying, man. I hear how in Ecclesiastes truly is a book that is calling us to change our perspective, uh, particularly our perspective about worldly gain and such. Uh, it's not like Jesus didn't hammer on this same kind of sermon when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. This is, this is one of the biggest things we struggle with uh, this side of heaven, I would say, is uh, the, the, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the, the things that John talked about in 1 John. And so Ecclesiastes is calling us to change our mind about those things so that we can finally live in the peace and rest that Jesus has for us. And so Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 20 is really saying that, man, we, you work so hard to get so much more, but it still doesn't satisfy. My mama used to tell me I have this problem she said it was the disease of discontentment. Always got to get better, always got to work harder, always got to get more, always got to move forward. And she says, Dustin, when are you just going to stop and enjoy what God has done and is doing right now? And truly, the, the same issue is what Solomon is addressing to us. But I guess let me ask the question for us is, as we're considering stewardship, I mean, if we feel like more is going to satisfy us. As a matter of fact, uh, someone asked J.D. Rockefeller um, when he would be satisfied with his wealth. 
And J.D. Rockefeller said, when I get just a little bit more. And so I'm wondering, if our happiness is tied to more, how happy do you think you can get, I wonder? How do you feel that you will ever achieve this ideal of happiness or contentment in your life if, like J.D. Rockefeller, if you're always going to need just a little bit more? Do you think that it's possible, church family, that God not only meets needs through his promise, Philippians 4.19, my, my God will supply all of our needs according to his riches and mercy. Do you think that it's possible that God would actually supply more than what he promised? Not so that we could gather more, but so that we could give more? Do you think it's possible that God has given you more than you actually need because he wants to Give through you to the world around you. Give through you for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is why the Bible, this, this idea and principle is why the Bible doesn't teach anything about ownership. It only teaches about stewardship. It doesn't, I'm going to say that again because we're going be, to be banging that drum over the next few minutes. Like, the Bible doesn't teach the principles of ownership. The Bible teaches the principles of stewardship. And that goes right to our gospel concept of our new identity as, as being adopted sons and daughters. Well, we, which we just sang about. Which we just sang about. And throughout the scripture, we're, we're given lots of different words to describe this relationship. But the one that we're going to focus on that really ties in with this concept is oikonomos. Yeah, say that again. Oikonomos. Say, you... It's kind of fun. Oikonomos. <laughs> but it, it, it comes from two words. Oikos, it's a Greek word that means family or household. Pretty much any time you see the family of God or the household of faith, it's oikos. And nomos, which means a rule or a law, and it's where most of the time you see the law. Them referring to the law, it's, it's nomos. But it's not in the legalistic paperwork sense that we normally think of it. It's in a, a proper use and treatment of the owner's things. So nomos is like... When I let you borrow my lawnmower, yeah, there's there, just going to be a certain way I'm going to expect for you to handle it. Yeah, I, I have a certain expectation on me of this is yours and I need to treat it, use it the way you would want. Even if I would want to use it a different way that I know you wouldn't or whatever happens, it, it's just that kind of mentality. There we go. Teach your kids that word. I think that'll go a long way. So, no most. Yeah, no That's most. my stuff, not yours. So they put these two words together. Oikos, oikos, and nomos, and they got oikonomos. Hold that mic up a little bit. So it's, it's house law or house rules. So, and it, it comes with this familial attachment to it. it. It's translated as all these kind of boring words like stewardship or management or administration, and we read that and skip right over it because it, it's boring. But it, it does have this family sense to it that it's lost on us because it, it comes with not only the family sense in that the house law means there's a, a standard of behavior that is expected of you, but the real focus of that word is on the father's stuff, that, that now you are in the, fa the father's household, you have a responsibility for his things. Wait, say that again. Exactly like you just said it, if you can remember. Now, now that you're in the father's household, you are responsible for the father's things. 
And Paul hammers that over and over and over again throughout the scriptures in uh, Ephesians and, and Colossians, 1 Corinthians, Galatians 4, whole chapters he kind of dedicates to that, that idea. And everyone, he'll kind of treat the same way. He'll talk about how we were part, where we were under the authority of the powers of darkness, and then we were rescued and we were adopted, and now we are sons and daughters of God. And then he'll get into this oikonomos, and it's always towards the end, and he'll use it to basically say, now you need to be stewards. Now you have a responsibility. You are in the Father's domain now, and coming with that is a responsibility and an authority to take care of the Father's things the way he would want. What's, where are those scripture passages again? Because this will be good homework for this afternoon. Go back and make sure we're not lying yeah. to you. Galatians right. 4, practically so the whole chapter. Ephesians you. 2 and 3. Yeah. Uh, 1 Corinthians and Colossians and, and both. Pretty much, like I said, those boring words you come across, stewardship, administration, manage, management, that's the aquinomus. I never, and until we were studying this week, I never realized that tie. I never, I, I had heard about oikonomos is where we get our word economics in right. English. Um, and, but I never realized that it's so often brought up in conjunction with our adopted identity within the body of Christ. And so he said, you have been brought into the family of God through confession and believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and King. You were, we just declared it. Uh, we are the sons and daughters of God. You know, I'm, I'm no longer a slave to fear. Like part of our kingdom identity is adopted sons and daughters of God is oikonomos, that we would be stewards of the Father's right. things and to, to do them, to do with them how he's, what he said to do yeah, with we, them. We've That's been invited to take part yeah. in the Father's economy. These are his things. How will you treat them and use them? What a staggering paradigm shift, though. I mean, even for us as Christians. I mean, even, even, even good Christians out here are thinking in terms of, man, I want to love and serve God and I want to honor God. And so how much of my stuff should I use for the glory of God? That's a good starting point, but that's, that's an ownership mentality. That's, and the scriptures don't teach ownership principles. It teaches what kind of principles? I know some of y'all, it's like a cuss word. So, I mean, let me give you another chance. The Bible doesn't teach ownership principles, but it teaches what kind of principles? Stewardship, Stewardship principles, and even ties it into our adopted identity of being sons and daughters of God. Like, this is a central part of who we are now as kingdom people, that we don't think like owners anymore. That's been changed and transformed in us. We begin to think like stewards. You know, ownership says... It's mine, I've earned it, I deserve it, I'm entitled to it, I will consume it, I will use it, I will enjoy it, and I will decide ultimately how to spend it or how to give it. But that isn't what the Bible says, it's just one verse out of a million yeah. that say it. In Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I want to throw that up on the screen because I want us to memorize that real quick. I think that would be good stewardship this morning. If we memorize this, throw that up on the screen, computer guy. All right? I see it on my screen. I need it on their screen. There it is. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You think we can memorize that? All right, let's work on that right now together. Psalm 24.1 says, just say it with me, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
the world and all who live in it. That is a New American Standard um, translation. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. All right? Now you say it. The earth is the Lord's. Now take it off the screen. The earth is the Lord's and the world and all. That was a verse worth memorizing. That's a paradigm shift in our head and heart, recognizing and honoring and living in such a way of acknowledging that it is all his. We're not owners, we're stewards. The owner says it's mine, this is how I'm going to use it, this is what I deserve, I've worked hard for it. Stewardship says it's not mine, it's all his, I'm his. God not only gives to me, he gives through me. I'm not the owner, I'm just the steward. I I have a a close relationship with a a few different people in my life that have felt it necessary to ask me to be the executor of their estate. Now, if you're not familiar with that terminology, basically what it means is in the event that they passed away unexpectedly or under certain conditions, I then would be the person to essentially govern their estate and and the disbursement of their stuff. As an executor, I don't get to own anything unless they willed it to me. As an executor, I basically just have to step in as that person and make sure that the disbursement of all of their resources and their land and their assets and whatever gets handed out to the right people at the right time. That's what an executor does. That essentially is stewardship. I've been invited to take stewardship over somebody else's resources. This is what the Bible teaches about us. This is what the Word of God is trying to convince us of, recognizing that we are not our own. Nothing that we have is our own. It's all His anyway. We've been invited in as stewards, executors of the estate of God. And oh, is it vast. And oh, is it wonderful. And oh, is it, there's so much to give. And he invites us as sons and daughters into oikonomos, into the economics of the family of God so that we can be the executors, the stewards of the estate of God to share and to give and to serve so that the world would know that he is the one that's worthy, that he is the one that's king. Ownership says, how much of mine should I give? Stewardship says, how much of yours should I keep? Let me throw that out there one more time. Ownership, which is not biblical, says, how much of mine should I give? Stewardship says, which is biblical, how much of mine should I keep? Did you know that in the ancient Hebrew, like even in the days of Solomon writing in the book of Ecclesiastes, in the ancient Hebrew, there was no word in their language to say our word for mine. You picking up what I'm putting down? There was no word in the ancient Hebrew language for the English word mine. In other words, I wouldn't be able to say, hey, hand me my Bible. Because there is no mine in their language. The way I would refer to my Bible, I would say, there is to me a Bible. That would be the Hebrew way of saying it. In Hebrew, of course, which I don't speak. There is to me a a Bible. There, There was a recognition that whatever it is that I had was something that had been given to me, there is no way to say mine. Now, interestingly enough, in the world that we live in, nobody had to teach you to say mine. And nobody ever had to teach you to think it is mine. If, if you don't think that we were just born selfish, you need to volunteer for the preschool ministry people. You won't have to teach any of them kids to say mine. They do that on their own. 
Just like with children, we're learning, we're trying to learn and cultivate in them a heart of humility and selflessness, teaching them to share. Man, God is still trying to get that through our thick heads too. Because we still think, mine, how much of mine should I give? And the Lord says, no, 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 no. As kingdom people, as adopted sons and daughters of God, the question has to change. How much of yours should I keep? Yeah, and it's really easy to say this in church, but God knows this isn't natural to us. He knows how easily distracted we are by the world. He knows how easily we're going to get pulled away. Um, Deuteronomy 8, starting on um, verse 11. This is Moses talking after they are getting to the promised land, and he's, he's kind of telling them what's coming. He says, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God by failing to keep his commandments, his ordinances, and his statutes, which I am commanding you today. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, and you build good houses and live in them, when your herds and your flocks increase, and your silver and gold increase, and everything that you have increases, then your heart will become proud, and you will forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions, and its thirsty ground where there was no water. He who brought water for you out of the rock of flint in the wilderness, it was he who fed you manna, which your fathers did not know, in order to humble you and in order to put you to the test to do good for you in the end. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. Read read that verse again before you go past it. My power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth, but you are to remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gave you who is giving you power to make wealth in order to confirm his covenant, which he swore to your fathers and is to this day. So he's always, I mean, this, this has been a constant struggle. This is Moses coming to the promised land. And it's not just there. It's constant throughout the Bible. You'll see God do something and build an altar because you need to remember this. Put tassels on your clothes so every time you see them, you can remember me. Put this on your doorpost so when you see it, you can remember me. He knows that we are just constantly bombarded by the world and constantly getting pulled away from him. So when he addresses a real temptation for us too, I love that he says this to the people of Israel because there are those times in our life and y'all know what I'm talking about where something happened, a good thing happened in your life that you just know like, oh man, like this was the Lord. Like there's no way this would have happened to me if he wouldn't have just intervened. Maybe it's a big business deal you got. Maybe you inherited something, but like there was something really felt like a really good thing that happened. And you're like, oh yeah, this was definitely God. But the majority of the stuff that we have earned and gained and achieved, like, let's be honest, it came through your hard work, your sacrifice. You're taking the time to get an education. You're taking the time to say no to yourself in order to build the business or whatever. Like, you worked hard to get where you got and get what you have. And I love that he even addresses that, reminding them, he says, remember that it's, it's God, it's not you that has even given you the power to earn and achieve the thing that you've got. Either way, it like ties back to him being the giver, him being the source and him being the supply. Yeah. First Timothy 6 reminds us, he gives us all things to richly enjoy, but throughout the Bible, you won't see a lot of time spent on our rights and the expectations that, you know, the tangible benefits that you can expect out of a thing. Because owners have rights, stewards have responsibilities. Let's go. Say that again. Owners have rights and stewards have responsibilities. 
And that's just the mentality of the Bible throughout. It's the lesson that it teaches us over and over, all the way from, from Genesis. God creates everything, makes the perfect garden, and then gives it to man and says, here, tend the garden. Yeah, man. It's mine, but here's your responsibility. It's yours to work and live in and enjoy. And that's why stewardship is such an important rhythm and habit and practice in the life of the believer as we are, as we are learning to come to Jesus. As we are learning to come to him to find peace and rest and come to him to enjoy the presence of God in our lives. And like, no wonder we can't find peace and rest because we're clinging to all of our stuff. No wonder we can't cling to the vine when our hands are full with all of our junk. You know, the gospel and the word of God all throughout in Ecclesiastes even, it calls us not to live our lives with these clenched fists like this is mine. And after much prayer, I'm going to prayerfully decide what to allow the Lord to borrow. Man, the Word of God teaches us to live with our hands wide open so that He can give to us as much as He wants and He can give through us as much as He wants. That our lives truly would be conduits of the mercies of God. I'm not just talking about your dollars, even though your dollars are a big part of that. That's why Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He knew that the things that we valued the most would be the things that are eternally tethered to our hearts. Our money is definitely one of them. Our heart and our checkbook have this chain between the two of them. And wherever our heart goes is where our checkbook goes. And so Jesus just told us in Matthew 6, like, I just want you to know that I know what you love the most because I saw your check registry. I know what you value the highest. I know what little G gods you worship. And I know that you struggle with the difference between ownership and stewardship. But he's saying, no, everything that you have, not just your dollars and cents, but your health, your relationships, your land, your, your home, your dinner table. And this is all mine. Meant to be used for my glory. Meant to be, I was giving it to you that the world might see me through you and see me through what I've given you. And so he calls us to live with our hands wide open. So that kind of answers the question, like what is it exactly that I'm supposed to give? The answer is, well, what is it exactly that you have? All of it was meant to be laid down on the altar as a gift to God. Romans 12 calls us to, to live, present ourselves as a living sacrifice. And that's not a call to live in poverty or some kind of tortured existence. He's saying, don't hold anything back in service. Yeah, I love it's, that. Don't hold anything back. It's all his. Yeah. Yeah, that's such, such good wisdom, and this is his master plan, GBC. It's his master plan that we would align our master plan with his, that we would begin to look at everything that we have, our relationships, our family, our children, our marriages, our singleness, our rental property, our fill-in-the-blank. It's all gifts from God that are meant to be used for the glory of God, and just imagine standing before the King of glory, Jesus Christ himself, laying eyes upon the nail-pierced hands and the wounded side, seeing the look of love and compassion in his eyes as he looks at you, recognizing in that moment just the incredible amount of love displayed through the life of Christ for you, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection, his, 
his generosity even and his care and concern for your life, the fact that he even gave you life to begin with. Imagine just in that moment, just like beholding the eyes of the king of glory, recognizing the incredible sacrifice of he laid down everything. You want to talk about a living sacrifice? His name was Jesus. He showed us the way. Imagine standing there in the presence of the king and singing, I surrender some. I surrender some. All to thee, my blessed Savior, I surrender some. Can you imagine? (laughs) But isn't that the song we sing? Isn't that the question we ask God? Man, the call to stewardship is one of the sweetest ways we get to ride that vehicle into the arms of Jesus. You want to experience the heart of the Father? Man, he was the servant king. One of the best ways to enjoy just identifying that and joining your life to Christ Jesus is serving like he does. He wants to use serving and giving and generosity in your life with all your stuff as a means for drawing you into Jesus Christ, as a means for transforming your life, as a means for showing you what it means to lay down. Are you somebody that is tasked with making big decisions? Are you somebody that has been gifted with lots of resources? Is it, are you somebody that has influence? Are you somebody that doesn't have much at all? Are you somebody that has a child that you care for or a spouse that you've been given? Are you somebody that drives a car? Are you somebody that grows your own vegetables? What is it that the Lord has called you in to be an executor of his estate? What is it that God has commissioned you to be a distributor of his love and his mercy and his goods and his resources? What is it for you? This week as we get an opportunity to practice the practice, I didn't bring one up here, so I don't remember exactly what the sheet says, but you can, if you're a a QR code user, you can flip your uh, camera phone up and grab this QR code off the screen here in just a second. If not, um, there is a handheld uh, piece, yeah, you can grab that QR code. Don't take a picture of it. If you don't know what you're doing, just don't do it, okay? For those of y'all that know what you're doing, you can grab the QR code. For those of y'all that don't know what you're doing, we have like printouts for you. But essentially, just a call to practice the practice. What if this week, what if we we gave in a way that we expected nothing in return? What if we participated in silent service for somebody else, even though they would never know that we did a thing for them? What if as a family we prayed about and thought about how can we steward our family and our resources as a family to, to give to the glory of God together. As you have an opportunity to practice the practice, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to show you exactly what he would have you to lay down and surrender to him. Ladies and gentlemen, would you give thanks and appreciation to my friend Stephen? Thank you. Let me pray for us. God, I know that Jesus talked so much about stewardship because he knew that this would be one of the hard ones for us. But God, I also, I'm convinced that the more we learn
to be stewards and not owners, the more we realize just what our servant king is like. Lord, I pray that you would show yourself to this community through the stewardship of the family of Grace Bible. Lord, that you would make yourself known through radical generosity and servanthood. Lord, that you would continue to pour out your resources to us and through us for the sake of your kingdom building. Lord, have your way in us. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your patience with us when we grip the things that you've entrusted to us. Lord, may we live with hands wide open and hearts totally surrendered. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.